Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. No, you're over. It doesn't matter where she go. How come you're not right there? That throws off the whole the whole thing. We got to start over. Oh, well, that's true in so many ways. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our, our uh, community. Uh, if you don't know, the word vox is Latin for voice, and everything sounds better in Latin. And so we were like, hey, that'd be a great name for a little community. Um, we actually started out of a podcast, and so we have... Um, We've been podcasting for about a year, and the, the, the first crew that formed in this community came out of that podcast. So uh, we still do that, and obviously we've had a lot to talk about this week. Um, we're going to pray <laughs> uh, for our country here in a little bit, but I want to let you know what's coming this morning because we've got some really cool stuff as opposed to normal. Today, a couple of things. Number one, I'm sicker than a dog, which means, which means, hey, Stephanie, which means I'm a wuss. All right, I'm, anyway, guys, can I get an amen on this? I've broken bones. I've had multiple surgeries. I had my eyelids stitched together because I split it open playing rugby. And I handled all that well. But if you give me a cold, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to curl up on my couch for the next 12 hours. That's just how I work. Anybody? Anybody? Can I get an amen? Any guys? Any guys here? Okay. Really mellow. You guys are, all right, I'm going to have to carry this whole thing this morning. All right, I see how this is going to work. Secondly, uh, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do a little Q&A um, from last week. Then um, Izzy, our, our sweet Izzy Ray, is, is going to lead a couple of songs. Then we've got a friend of Izzy's named Micah who's going to do a couple of spoken word pieces. And if you don't know what those are, um, you, you're going to be in for... Uh, a kind of a joyful surprise. This is, really, this is really amazing stuff. And then we've got a friend of mine named Megan, who is going to be teaching this morning. Megan's big time. Um, and so it is nice of her to um, condescend to, to be here today. Uh, this is a step down for Megan. So um, it's all right. Nothing. Man, you guys are so tough today. So tough today. All right. But it's fine. You know what? You know what? I can do awkward better than any of you. And so I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on awkward. And then... Megan's going to lead us in communion, then we're going to sing some more, and that's going to be our, uh, our Sunday morning experience. The reason we gather um, is, A, because we've got something to bring. So this is practice. This is a staff meeting. This is, uh, for those of you that are Jesus followers, this is the, the recapturing of imagination, the redirecting of passion, the, the being mended together for the sake of going out and being someone who is a mender out in culture. For those of you that are still wrestling with the whole Jesus thing, we're just thrilled you're with us. Um, and if you want to find out more about us, you can go to voxoc.com and find out a little bit about what it is uh, that we're trying to do. So we've got some questions for uh, you. We uh, allow people to text in and encourage people to text in. That's the number uh, that you text questions to. Last week, we did an entire Q&A of incredible questions. You made me actually work on a Sunday. Um, and so these are three from last week. I'm sorry we can't get to them all, but um, it would take the rest of the service. All right, so here we go. Number one. I'm sure every church that has ever been planted has done so with the desire for Jesus to be known and to be followed. How do we, all caps, keep ourselves from becoming irrelevant like so many others who have adopted cultural values in place of truth? How can we be genuinely critical of the church's shortcomings at the same time recognizing that we, all caps, who believe are the church, and, um, and God saw it fitting for us to carry on his work through the Spirit. I'm genuinely excited, reserved, frightened, and determined to know God more deeply and to make him known to others. All right, so question is, it seems like there isn't one church that's ever been started that didn't have the intention of glorifying Jesus and doing his work, and then how come so many lose the plot? And how can we keep that from happening? Well, it's like, I think this is true of anything. If you're not committed to being lifelong learners and not committed to always looking, I mean, the church should be the, the one place that's always critical of itself because it's the one place that starts with the idea that we're made up entirely of broken people, 
right? And so, so to me, there are a couple of things that we try to do. Number one, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on anything else. How radical Jesus is, how compelling Jesus is, how beautiful Jesus is. We don't defend Christianity. We don't defend church. We don't defend religion. We're not about any of those things. We're focused exclusively on the beauty and majesty of Jesus. And if we're not getting criticized for our, um, our grace towards other people, then odds are we're not close enough to him. Because that was, that was him. He was criticized all the time. Second thing we try to do um, is that we try to be really honest about what's happening in our culture and in our lives. And so for us, a huge value we have is we tell stories and we don't try to polish those stories. We're not, we're very much trying to not pretend in a place like this. Uh, and then the third thing is this, recognizing that everything everywhere from all time, if you're not careful, gets institutionalized. And the goal of the organization becomes its self-preservation, not the advancement of its mission. And there's not a lot you can do to prevent that happening. You just have to be ruthlessly honest when it does. So we're, not, we're under no illusions that somehow this thing is going to be magnificent. It's not ever going to be magnificent. We just think if we can get a glimpse of how magnificent Jesus is as a community, that is enough for us. Next question. Great question, by the way. If God wishes, so we're doing a series on John 3.16. If God wishes that none would perish and that all would have eternal life, and if he so loved the world, so these are, these are all quotes from the verse. Don't use God's word against him, guys. Don't ever do that. Why on earth are Christians so focused on heaven and hell? Seems like God gets what he wants when it comes to eternity and the possibility of an afterlife. Is it so wrong to believe that if Jesus paid the penalty for all death, it's possible that no one is truly sent to a place called hell? Or better yet, that a place called hell doesn't even exist? Wow. That's some good stuff. So, yes, no, no. All right, next question. So, so first of all, that is a fantastic question. And you're in luck because in two weeks, we're going to look at the none shall perish part of John 3.16. So you're just anticipating the conversation we're about to have. But let me say this. There have been people in the Christian tradition who insist that hell is a real place of eternal torment. There are people in the tradition, Christian tradition that insist Hell turns out to be annihilation, that those uh, who are not aligned with the movement of God just cease to exist. And in that sense, the consequence is eternal, but they're not tormented forever. And there are other people in the Christian tradition who insist that at the end of all ages, uh, there won't be one person, once they get a glimpse of Jesus, who won't bend their knee to him. So there's room in here, although the, the primary evangelical view has been the eternal conscious torment view. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. So we'll talk about it in a couple weeks. Take that. Ah. Next. Why do we assign gender to God when gender is a human construct? So first of all, I don't know. I don't know that I'd say gender is a human construct. I, I know what you mean when you say that. Um, but, but clearly gendered in, in the Genesis narrative is important because both male and female are needed to reflect the full image of God. So gendered, that's not just something we came up with. According to the scriptural narrative, and again, if you don't buy that, this, this part doesn't make sense. But if you buy it, gendered isn't just something that human beings gave words to. It's something that's kind of foundational the whole story. But I get, I get where this is going. Jesus has a, has a clearly evidenced biological sex of male. But the God who is Jesus and is also Jesus' parent is above any human idea of gender. It can be very distracting to constantly hear male pronouns assigned to a God who, yes, took form in a male body, but who has no gender as we understand it. So, first of all, totally agree. Secondly, when, when uh, Jesus talks about God in the context of worship, he says God is spirit. And so, yes, God is not gendered. In fact, there's more feminine imagery used of God than most of our Bibles actually relate to us. Uh, um, a lot of our Bibles have been very neutered to reflect the patriarchy of the, the earliest churches. And so, like El Shaddai in Hebrew is a feminine. I mean, the, some of the, some of the um, Greek words for spirit 
are feminine. There are, there are feminine, there's feminine imagery used of God all over the Old Testament. When the, the reason that the, the male imagery stuck is because Jesus went around calling God Father. And a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago or so, we looked at why the father-son image was used. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that God's male, and it doesn't mean, of course, that God's anything like our earthly fathers. It just means that there's a tradition attached now to Father, God the Father, God the Son, that originated with Jesus. But you're right, it's much broader than our normal English Bibles or even our English churches permit. So, um, so it'd be a worthy conversation to talk about all the feminine imagery that's used for God too, because I think there is a strain of patriarchy in, in the unbiblical, unholy sense that still exists in Christian circles because of some of this language. So excellent stuff. All these questions are always, always, always unanswerable in 30 seconds. And so the biggest reason we put them up isn't because we're going to give airtight, compelling answers that are going to solve every doubt, but it's because we want to give people permission to talk about anything and ask about anything and not have to pretend. God knows the secrets of your heart already. He's not surprised. Oh my goodness, this question, I've never considered it. It's going to throw the whole operation into jeopardy. We just don't think that's the way it works. So we welcome, we welcome these things. And, and to some, the answer is just simply, I don't know. I don't know. Can't wait to find out. Don't know. But we don't want to be people that pretend like those things don't exist or that they're opposed to faith. Make sense? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but um, something happened Tuesday. I don't remember. Um, oh, yeah, it was an election. Um, and, uh, and then Wednesday, it was funny. Going on Facebook was an adventure. And, um, and Twitter. So, so, there are two, so there are two kinds of people today. Happy and... Are there kids in here? Okay. Upset. Um, and, uh, and Wednesday, we, did a, we actually did a podcast um, on uh, the calling of Jesus' people to be peacemakers that transcend the earthly divisions. Because it's so easy, if you were voting Hillary or sympathetic to Hillary, to be so angry. And if you were voting Trump or sympathetic to Trump, to be triumphant and then angry that people are angry. And the church has to be the place, has to. The communion table does not recognize Hillary or Trump. The communion table does not recognize Republican or Democrat. The communion table only recognizes human beings in need of rescuing. So we have to be the place where everything becomes secondary to that. Make sense? Now, we need prayer to do that because, you know, there's so much heat going on these days. So I just thought it would be, it would be powerful for us uh, before Izzy plays to just take a moment to silently pray, particularly for those you are tempted to hate. Okay? To li literally bless your enemies. Right now, bless your enemy. This is a command of Jesus. Bless your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So let's practice that. So we're not going to take a vote on who that is. And if you're praying for me, I'm hurt by that. I'm just, I want you to know I'm hurt by that. But I understand. Uh, but let's take, a, let's take a few moments of silence to bless whoever it is that you are tempted, that I'm tempted to call the enemy or the other, to bless them, to call down, to call down God's blessing upon them. And then I'm going to pray for us and then we will begin to worship together. Sound good? Or sound okay? All right, let's pray. Just a few moments of quiet. pray right now for the Michigan Wolverines, and I pray your blessing upon them. I hate them, and I confess my hatred of them. No, Father, in all seriousness, this is hard for us. It is hard for us to love our enemies, to love uh, and bless those that persecute us, and there is so much division and anger and hurt and fear. These are toxic, toxic waters we're swimming in. All the more reason, Lord Jesus, for your people to be and to shine like stars in the midst of this generation. And so, Father, we pray desperately for the anointing of your spirit. We pray desperately for the filling of your spirit. We pray desperately that, that we would put your reputation above our own and that you would grace us and, and give us courage and boldness to be peacemakers 
and uh, in our families, in our workplaces, um, in social media. And God, we pray for our country. We pray for healing. We pray that peacemakers would, would rise up all across the country. People who, regardless of political affiliation, see and recognize the beauty of loving your neighbor as yourself. And Father, we pray um, for President-elect Trump, which is a crazy thing to say for some of us, that you would give him great wisdom, that you would protect him, that you would give him wisdom, that you would give his advisors wisdom, and that he would be a president for all America. God, we pray for our leaders and our rulers in submission to your word. And we ask you, God, to pour out grace and truth people close by who can speak wisdom and that the church would rise up to be a prophetic voice against wherever injustice is found and to stand with those who are marginalized to represent the beauty and grace of Jesus. And so, Father, we volunteer for that job. We present ourselves to you now in the name of your Son. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, I'm really excited. I know, this is weird. You've never heard my talking voice before. Um, hello. Um, I'm super excited. I have a really, really, really good friend here today who's going to do some spoken word poetry. I'm so excited. Um, his name is Micah Bornet, and he is incredible. His artistry is so, so, so amazing. He's one of the wisest dudes that I know. And um, he has CDs out there if you want to support um, some incredible true art. So please, please do that. Um, and I would ask that you would listen respectfully because he is going to bring an incredible perspective today. So um, yay, I'm excited. Welcome, Micah. Now they dismiss the visions of madmen. Wisdom can be gathered from anyone who sees what others cannot. Drunk men tell no tales. Poets cannot lie. Poets cannot lie because we do not divide fact from fiction. There's often more truth in our fantasy worlds and metaphors than human courts where liars swear to speak honestly in the name of laws they break, in the name of gods they disobey. The prayers of the proud will never reach heaven, but God hears the slurred words of the stumbling proud. And all will be cursed who mock them. It is not an easy task to plead with the world, to grieve for the world, especially since God often speaks through those most broken. The picture we paint in our minds is a far cry from the reality of heaven. When the saints go marching in, it will not be a parade of the almost perfect. God does not reserve grace for those who only need a little bit. The healthy are in no need of a doctor. The healer is for the sick. Heaven will be a freak show. Promiscuous young men will embrace the virgin priests who molested them, and their hearts will both be pure. How amazing is grace. The street corner preacher will be greeted by thousands of people she thought were not listening. Thank you for enduring the times we mocked you. Your sidewalk sermons are why we know God. How amazing is grace. Aborted children will tug the spotless robes of young women and say, Hello, mother. I'm so glad to finally meet you. The former master will see the lashed back of his no longer slave and say, you taught me the love of the Savior. The suicide bomber who prayed for forgiveness during the millisecond between pressing the detonator and standing before the throne of God. The guilty thief hanging next to Jesus on the cross. The madman who spoke to invisible beings will stand between Michael and Gabriel with a grin as wide as an angel's wingspan and say, I knew I wasn't crazy. The missus and the mistress, the victim and the rapist, the foreign and the racist, the bullies and the geeks, all those who somewhere along the way believed, whose sins were forgiven and strength was given to love 
their enemies. So many we swore there is no way in hell we would see them in heaven. But they will be there. We will be there with a song on our lips and our eyes full of faith. And we'll sing how amazing is grace. Uh, my name is Micah Bornet, and I do spoken word poetry. Uh, if you're not familiar with spoken word, it's poetry that's uh, written to be performed instead of read on a page. So it's like the difference between writing a novel and writing a script for a play or a film. You know, as the artist, if you're writing a, a script, you don't want people to read it on paper. You want them to watch as the actors perform what you've written. So it's poetry with a theatrical performance element. I got a couple more for y'all. Um, <clears throat> when I started writing poetry, um, I was at, uh, in college at a predominantly white school, and so I joined a poetry club, and I was the only member of the club who wasn't white. And I thought, oh, that's cool, not a problem. It was a problem. <laughs> so uh, this poem is titled, I Love Y'all, For Real. <laughs> I love y'all, for real. But sometimes you make me feel dumb. Like the last time we met and she read her piece of poetry and everybody was impressed except me. I wasn't hating. I just didn't comprehend it. But I pretended like I did because I didn't want to seem slow. You know, being the only. Or like when my phone rings and it's somebody black and y'all laugh because my dialect is just so darn cute or hilarious or whatever you think it is. Hey, let me call you back, kid. Excuse me, miss, but Sambo want to know what be so minstrel show humor is. If anything, you should be amused by the way I talk to you. Still, like I said, I love y'all for real, but sometimes you make me feel dumb. So on my poetry, I front like my vocabulary is enormous. The thesaurus is my best friend, and half the time, I forget what words mean after I use them. But I gotta keep up with the Joneses, my fellow poets, my friends. Your intelligence extends far beyond the fields of my cotton ball brain. See, sometimes I'm ashamed because I'm black and I ain't as brainiac as y'all. Or... I have not been blessed with the same level of intellect as the rest of you. Furthermore, due to my ethnicity, I feel the pressure to prove that I'm equally proficient at poetic composition. And I'm not accusing you of prejudice. However, such beliefs are often held subconsciously. Therefore, I seek to write so eloquently that all forms of bigotry, open and unknown, are blown to hell. But I know I never will. And that kills me. Because I love y'all. For real. But sometimes make me feel dumb. Uh, this last poem, uh, I get inspiration for poetry from interesting places. And uh, this poem was inspired by a bottle of shampoo. <laughs> and it's titled, Normal Hair. I was showering at the home of a white friend, pondering deeply as I lathered my chocolate skin, when suddenly I got an inclination to observe the labels of the hygiene products placed neatly on the windowsill. One particular bottle struck me as queer. Garnier Fruit Tea's Fortifying Shampoo for normal hair. I thought, normal to whom? Based on my current residence, my hair is considered alien, yet I can think of several locations where it would fit the norm, like the Howard University dorms or the south side of Chicago. If I walked into a grocery store on 79th Street in the Shire and made my way to the shampoo aisle, I wonder what I'd find. Garnier Fructis Fortifying Shampoo for abnormal hair, you know, the kind you can't find around here, for the hair that lays straight, no kinks, no waves, for that crazy kind of hair that doesn't need grease. Or would it still read normal hair. Now, if you ask me the question, do I have normal hair, I'd answer, yes. Yet, I doubt if that product was made for my texture. But I guess I can't complain. Who wants to be normal anyway? I know what normal really means. And no offense to normal people, but I have no desire to be normal. 
Then I started thinking, why don't we label everything normal as normal? Mayonnaise, the normal condiment. Country, Screamo, and Rock will all be called normal music. Barack Obama, the first abnormal president. Well, technically, he's half normal. <laughs> now, do you see how ludicrous this concept of normality is? The only problem I have with normal people is that they think they're normal. <laughs> Trust me, there is nothing normal about you. <laughs> Many of my normal friends have lost pride in their heritage as if minorities have a monopoly on everything intriguing while they get stuck with normal culture and normal hair. But this is not just a normal problem. Many people, normal and abnormal alike, fail to see the beauty in their own identities. Oh, the irony when black girls cry themselves to sleep wishing they were light-skinned while white girls lay for hours on the beach fabricating melanin. I just don't understand. I'm happy how I am. Not full of pride, but proud to know I'm made in the image of God. And God is far from normal. So if every human being is fashioned after him, there is no typical human, no normal ethnic group. No matter who you are, red, yellow, black, normal or blue, there's something divine about you. But I guess you can't know this if you don't know the God you reflect. You spend your whole life thinking you're normal or worthless, never knowing which of God's many attributes are present in you. I urge you to introduce your image to its template. Jesus Christ, the prototype. In many ways, normal guy. Rejected by men and despised, yet for them he was sacrificed. By this, God was pleased. Therefore, thus says the Lord in Isaiah 53, verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the great, and all who know him will be like him as well. Normal? I think not. Followers of Christ possess the very spirit of God, making us extraordinary. And as if by Christ we're not already great, just you wait. We've been given a promise of glorification. Each saint will undergo magnificent transformation. From head to toe, every hair follicle will radiate with beauty unlike you've ever viewed. When we get to heaven, Garnier Fructis will not do. If your faith is in Christ, next time you run out of shampoo, take me up on this dare. Go to the store and ask the bag boy, where is the shampoo for glorious hair? You know, I can really relate to that last one, you know? Every hair follicle. I know. I, um, I use soap. I don't even use shampoo. I mean, I just, I just soap it up. You know what I'm saying? Micah. So this is my friend Megan. Say hello to Megan. So, um... So Megan's going to teach this morning, and then we're going to do, uh, she's going to set up communion for us. I don't know if you knew you were going to do that. Um, I need, just need to give you a couple instructions. Uh, gluten-free tables over there. It's very important. The gluten-free table right there. We're in Orange County. Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. And then the vegan yeah. tables are everywhere else. Um, and, uh, and then uh, we also have, uh, for those of you, our community supported just incredibly uh, by some of the most generous people in Orange County. And they participate in those little boxes called participation boxes. And then um, we're going to have our prayer folks hand out the elements today um, so that when you come to the table, they're going to look you in the eye and say, this is the body and this is the blood. And, and we open communion for everybody. So um, you're, you're welcome at the table uh, whenever Megan's done. But I just want to pray for her and pray for Micah. I mean, uh, could, could there be more relevance to what he was saying? I don't think so. So... Mike, did you get my hair jokes though? I mean, did you see where, did you see where I just, I don't even look for shampoo, man. I just get, I get a, I get a bar of big white soap and I say, this is what I look like. This is me, me, welcome to me. And it's just awesome. All right, Jesus, take the wheel. Amen. Uh, let me start by telling you a little bit about me and then a lot about I got engaged to be married seven years ago. And when I got engaged, I remember I walked into my church and all these people walked up to me with a bunch of advice. 
and it got overwhelming. As if, it's funny, as if that season was about learning how to be a good party planner versus learning how to serve someone with my life. And I got a little bit confused. And I felt the stress, I felt, being, I felt overwhelmed. And then someone walked up to me and goes, have you asked your bridesmaids? And I was like, now that one actually sounds interesting. So I remember I walked up to my sister who knew it was coming and I'm like, hey Kim, do you wanna be my maid of honor? And she's like, ah. I'm like, good job, okay. Then I went to my friend, friend, friend and then I went back to my sister and I said, Kim, there's someone else that I really want to be in the lineup. And she's like, well, who? And I was like, it's a little non-traditional, if you will, non-normal. <laughs> and she's like, well, who? And I was like, well, it's, it's Nanny. Now, Nanny is my 94-year-old grandmother. I did not want her to be token grandma. I wanted her to be in the lineup. My sister said, if you can convince her, then go ahead. Now, my, my Nanny is um, full of life. She's from England, came over on the last Queen Mary voyage from England to America. And she still speaks with a thick accent, still drinks tea, and uh, does it with glass because she thinks that paper cups communicate that I'm ready to go. <laughs> so always, always glass. And so I remember I walked up next door, and I, uh, you know, I knock on the door, and an hour later she gets there, and I'm like, Nanny, you made it! And she always would say, you're ridiculous. And I'm like, nah, that's fine. Let's go to breakfast. And she's like, all right, you know, with her little accent, let me get my coat. I'm like, great. We walk, and let me give you a picture of who my nanny is. So we're walking to the car, and she is, has her walker, and she goes, wait! And I'm like, what? She goes, I'll race you. And I'm like, okay. I, I'm sorry, nanny just didn't notice I put on my fast shoes, but that's fine. We can, we can race. And so we're walking, and then she ever so slowly, this is my nanny, just starts kind of cutting me off. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we get to breakfast, and it took one full hour to convince her that I wasn't kidding. Like a full hour. By the end of it, she says, all right, I guess it's the first 94-year-old bridesmaid I'd ever heard of. And I said, yes, and I'll let you know. Unfortunately, the story gets um, crazy real fast, because that's life, isn't it? Because it was in August that I asked, and it was in September that she had her stroke. And I remember when she did, and I don't... I can remember the day, you know the type of day where nothing else matters? That day, have you I don't know if any of you have had one of those days, where suddenly all those little things you care about just don't matter. And I remember going and visiting my grandma, and she's sitting in a bed, and she's only alive because there's a bunch of tubes. And I remember walking out devastated, of course, for the little wedding thing, but most importantly, because her life. And I remember I'm like weeping, my sister and I are crying, my dad goes, we're not going to know anything for 24 hours, and I'm like... He's like, we're all going to go do what we normally do. We're going to meet back up tonight at 8 p.m. And I'm like, I don't want to meet back. It's the middle of the night. I'm like, I don't want to. I just want to stay right here. And he's like, we're all, we need to get our minds elsewhere. Let's go elsewhere and then we'll all meet back. And at the time I was teaching, uh, I was a professor at a local Christian university. And I remember driving out and I was angry at God. Why? Like the timing. And I remember I walked into my classroom and I remember I didn't want to be there. <laughs> So I decided instead of being just angry in general, I was going to be angry at my students, which isn't a great posture. But I remember I had my notes, and they all just walked in like it was just another day. And it wasn't. You know the days when you're thinking about really meaningful things, and everyone else is just walking around living their life for them, and you're like, you're missing it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at my students, and I'm looking at my notes. I taught health education, <laughs> and it was uh, female weightlifters, and I was like, <clears throat> So I took my notes. I threw my notes, and I was like, screw that. <laughs> and the girl in the front row was like, do we write that down? <laughs> and I looked so, I'm trying to get back to the moment. I looked really honestly at my students, and I went, do you actually know God? Ooh, I went there. Do you actually like, like have a relationship with the living God? And mind you, this is a Christian university, so a lot of these, a lot of people in, the, in, the, in my class had kind of a knowledge. But I went, how's your actual relationship with the living God going? Because I'm facing a literal life and death circumstance, and so right now I just have to know, do you know him? And I also just faced some really bad news. 
So I would like someone in the class, and at this point, if you've ever been an educator, you understand when you start to get into like class participation and they don't want to participate, they slowly start to put their head down, right? They started doing that too. So I'm like, no, 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 I see you down there. I see you down Like I got a little bit crazy this day, as you can imagine. I'm like, I need to hear really good news. And the gospel is translated good news. So I want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come to earth? <laughs> Why did he die? I know you probably had that memorized, I'm sure, but... Why did he die? And what is him like rising from the dead? Did that really happen? What does it have to do with our day? Not like what did it have to do when you were four or 18 or that one big moment if you had it or that season, but like what does Jesus' life have to do with you? I want someone to stand up and give me the gospel. Who's it going to be? And all my students were like, and so I'm like, um, Jason. And Jason's like, no. He actually said it out loud. And no, no. I went, Jason, stand up. Tell us about Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Tell us why he came, why he died, and why he resurrected, and what that has to do with me. I just need some good news. Everybody, Jason. Everybody, Jason. Girl in the front row had a crush on Jason. She's like, I'm like, you again. Stop it. <sighs> Jason put his head down, as did every other student I called on that morning. And I had nowhere to go. I was just devastated. I don't know where you're at this morning. You woke up, you got to church. I don't know if it's out of a desperate need or out of a habit. I don't know. But as I was praying, as, he, as Mike told me of a scripture that I've probably known for a while but forgotten, pray for those who persecute you. And I actually did. I was praying that that person would become desperate for Jesus and that I would be desperate for Jesus so I could proclaim to a desperate world, Jesus. And so I turned to seven scriptures, seven. I actually, as someone once spoke, I've worked at a camp for 11 years and at that camp, one guy once spoke these seven verses to me and I wrote them down in this very Bible right there. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> the book of Romans is written by a really interesting guy. A guy by the name of Paul. It used to be Saul, but then it got changed to Paul suddenly one chapter with no explanation. But this guy named Paul used to hate Christians. <laughs> hate. You know what that reminds me of? Paul used to hate Christians. And then suddenly one chapter later, he gives his whole life to Jesus. That reminds me to never stop praying. Because God can do anything he wants with anyone he wants whenever he wants to do that thing. So can I tell you to don't stop praying for that person? Just don't stop. Because Paul wrote some pretty radical things. And in the book of Romans, he really just kind of summarizes the full story. He spends the first 11 chapters summarizing God, sin, Jesus, and then spends chapters 12 through the very end on, therefore, if you believe that, this is how you live. The first six verses I'm going to give you give the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is not what we do chapter 12 on. Now that's confusing because a lot of people look at Christianity and they critique based on what Christians have done or have not done that looks like Jesus. And that while they're accurate to do so, you are accurate to do so. I can tell you this, I've learned through the book of Romans that the essence of Christianity is not what Christians do. I used to walk around with this little bracelet. It said WWJD, and, it reminded, and I never once, it stood for what would Jesus do? Never once did I walk around, I was like, should I do that bad thing? No. It just, it never happened for me. But no wonder I was so confused with the essence, right? What should I do? As if Christianity was dependent upon what I do. It's not. Good news. Have you screwed up? It's not, what would Jesus do? We need to make new armbands. One day I will. It will say, W-H-J-D, what has Jesus done? Because in the midst of you doing what you've done, he did what he did and it changed things. We should make new armbands. <laughs> so let's see what has Jesus done. Now, the, the story in Romans chapter 1 begins with God because that's how the story begins. The story did not, the story, this one story that's being told through Scripture did not begin with sin. <laughs> that wasn't the beginning of the story, and it surely is not going to be the end of the story. It began with God, which tells us a few things. Number one, the story, who it's about. 
God. That seems really simple, but it's true that if you recognize that, that in the beginning, God, he's really the one main character and it's all about him, that might even change how you spend time with him through this, his word. Because if you open the Bible, have you done it? You open the Bible to find inspiration, you might be disappointed. Have you done it? Inspire me. Okay. I don't get it. You've made yourself the main character of that quiet time. If you open the Bible to find God, you will never be disappointed because it's all about him. So let's discover together what's true about God. And in chapter 1, verses 19, it says this, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. How? Well, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood how, from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Creation screams creator. We have no excuse. But for although they, and put ourselves in the story, knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 25, they, I, continue to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Worshiped and served not creator, but creation. And if I were to be honest, the primary creation that I serve is me. So funny. I've taught this before and it's always tempting not to be honest. It's tempting to say they or us. But let me be honest with you. I continue. I find, this, I find this idea really interesting. Whether you're someone that's incredibly confident or incredibly insecure, it's really interesting. And maybe confident in the wrong things, but maybe just really confident in yourself. It's ironic. No, where, no matter where you find yourself, uh, we're likely on the same scale. If this scripture is true, that we continue to worship and serve created things, really ourselves. The word I like to use is a funny one. Someone, we had this like little small group once, and someone's like, what would you call your first book? I was like, I'd call it self-conscious. She's like, no one would buy that. I'm like, that's okay. Because aren't we all, think about it, conscious of self. You can even walk into church and be conscious of self. When I sing worship songs, if I'm really honest, and that like three and a half minute worship song, I'll say there's, you know, there's those 10 to 15 second increments, usually in the chorus, that's like, I'm, I'm all on you. My attention's here and it's all about you. And then I become conscious of myself again. Do you do it? I believe what glory is going to look like is going to be so conscious of him all the time. But uh, Romans continues and says, it's not just one time, it's all time. Chapter 3, verses 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, I circled the word all, because whether you're in the room and you play the comparison game and you go, well, at least I'm not as blank as so-and-so, as sinful as so-and-so. To be honest with you, I did that a lot through college. I looked at my sin and went, well, compared to my sin is about that big. And guess how big my Jesus was? Here's the deal. In order to be in a perfect relationship with a perfect God, you have to be perfect. But we all fall short of this perfect standard. In fact, do me a favor. Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Go ahead. And for those of you that bothered not to care, we're going to try it again, so that's all right. Uh, we'll, we'll add to it. Neighbor, I am so glad. Ready? Uh, neighbor, I am so glad that you're as messed up as I am. As Micah was preaching, I was pumped, because guess what? Welcome to a room of very imperfect people that are conscious of themselves a lot, but we are dependent upon him, and when we notice and we recognize and become conscious of him, we become a little bit more free. Do you want that freedom this morning? Because I do. I don't want you to just know that grace is real. I want to live that grace is real. And then I want to be gracious as a result. 
but we all fall short. So, so what? So what happened? Glad you asked in your brain. Chapter 5, verse 8 says this. But God, which are my favorite two words in Scripture, and they're found all throughout Scripture, because in the midst of us living for us, God butts into the storyline. <laughs> Aren't you glad God butted in to not just the storyline, but yours? You see, because God didn't just say that he loved, because you know those people that say that they love, but their actions are very different. No, 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 not God. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Why did he die? Chapter 6, 23. For the wages. Wages means earnings. What we've earned from a life of sin is death. But, there it is again, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why, though, did he have to die? Because what we earned is death. We all fell short. And death, not just physical death, inevitably we will all die, but also spiritual death. A separation from God is what we deserved. Why did he die? Is because God is just. That penalty must be paid. Consequences must happen. And the wages of our sin is death. So Jesus took death. Here's something I did not understand. Jesus died to take that which we deserve. I caught that one when I was a little bit littler. What I didn't understand is this part. Jesus, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life. Therefore, he alone earned the perfect relationship. Fully God, fully man. Because uh, the only one who would live up to the perfect standard is God. God sent himself. He took that which we deserve. And if we put our faith and our trust, not in ourselves to be good enough, because guess what? You aren't. <laughs> this you know. But if we put our faith and trust that Jesus was, he took that which we deserved. We, by grace, receive that which Jesus deserved. He deserved the perfect relationship with the Father. That's why Paul, in a different book called Ephesians, refers to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and his sacrifice. That's why he refers to them as in Christ. Because no longer are we just found in ourselves, because found in ourselves we deserve death. Jesus took that which we deserved. We, by grace, get what he deserved. How? Because on the third day he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave proving two things. Number one, he is God. Number two, he has the power to make dead things live. And the wages of your sin is death, which means he has the power to make you, you live, not for yourself. You know, every religion out there has a metaphorical ladder. Uh, it's, it's this like metaphor of like a ladder of people trying to climb their way to God. Hence how, how Christianity was a little bit confusing to me. Because we have to try to climb our way to God, but I can never quite get there. Have you noticed? And it's even found all throughout scripture. And Christianity too has a ladder. The reason God sent himself is because he knew that we could not climb our way up to God. No matter how much good you've done which is why Jesus climbed down the ladder to be with us. That's the essence. Every other world religion has that ladder, but ours, he came to us because he knew we couldn't get to him. And it continues, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are, look at it, in Christ Jesus. You see, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Remember, the law says the wages is death. Jesus' death sets me free from that law. So maybe you're someone that uh, sits in this crowd and goes, okay, so, um, so what do I do about that? Maybe, I, yes, uh, maybe a long time ago you believed, or maybe you're sitting here and you've, been you've continued to put your, you continue to stand in you. Have you done it? Because if you stand in good health, and then you get sick, and that, in other words, shatters, so do you. 
if you have stood in a perfect marriage and it shatters, so do you. If you stand in having a perfect family, I just had my first son, <laughs> and it shatters, so do you. If you stand in your profession and you aren't appreciated, aren't noticed, aren't accepted, aren't, and it shatters, so do you. If you stand in anything else and it shatters, so do you. We, those who see the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection power, are invited to stand in Christ so that when all those things shatter, you don't. Doesn't mean we don't weep, though. So what? Chapter 10, verses 9 to 11 says this, that if, with, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified it is with your mouth that you confess. What do you confess? You confess that you are not God and you cannot get there on your own. But you've been trying. I have too. And it's tiring. I get tired. I get tired. Are you tired? There's really good news. And on that particular day, I needed to hear good news. And I'm grateful God's word speaks. You see, because if you confess, Jesus, you are Lord, and you surrender your life, and, and then you keep confessing, Jesus, remember, you're Lord. You walk in, and then during that worship song, Jesus, you are Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you remember, you will be saved. And then chapter 12 on, it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, that which you don't deserve, live like it. <laughs> and the cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't ask anything of us that he hasn't already given to us. <laughs> You remember my grandmother? <laughs> she did walk down the aisle at my wedding. We actually have a picture. There she is. <laughs> that was when I first saw her. Um, and she was so, she was so beautiful. <clears throat> and I started <clears throat> to hang out with her every Tuesday from that point on. <clears throat> she referred to it as Tuesday, and I was like, you're wrong, because it's actually Tuesday, but that's fine. <clears throat> and she would always say, you're ridiculous. I'm like, that's fine. And I just visited her on Tuesdays. And one particular Tuesday, I uh, walked in and she was crying. I was like, why are you crying? And she goes, Megan, think about my life. At this point, she was confined to a chair. And she's like, look at my life. I sit here and I wait for people to love me. I write, I'm very good at getting all the birthday cards out on time, and sometimes they call to say thanks. Sometimes they don't. But Megan, I sit here, and I just wait to be loved. What's, my, what's the point of my life? I thought, she said, I was living for your wedding. That came and went. Why am I still here? And here's the weird part. It made me immediately think of us. Because most of us just aren't confined to a chair. We, I, run to find love. I run to find acceptance in people, places, and things. Do you? I run to find significance. I run to find acceptance. I run a lot of different places to people who are only running in my direction to find those very same things. And it's tiring. And I remember looking at my nanny, and here's the thing. I've known her my entire life, but we've never had a very important conversation. I said, oh my goodness, nanny, do you know God? And she goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but then I went a step further, because I, I told her the story of her stroke. I said, nanny, do you know Jesus Christ? And she goes, now that one confuses me because like he's God, but then he was like a man and it was like a long time ago. She goes, not really that one. I said, can I tell you some good news? She goes, I need good news. So my friends who showed up to church this morning, let me tell you some good news. <laughs> In the same way that I did with her, and I can remember it so vividly. I said, Nanny, and I walked through the exact same seven scriptures 
Chapter one, there's a God. He made everything perfect for his glory. Chapter three, we made it about us. Do you understand sin? She goes, you mean the fact that I'm really selfish all of the time? I said, well, yes, actually, that's good self-awareness. And she goes, I always feel guilty about that. I'm like, okay. But God didn't just leave you there. He didn't just leave you in your guilt. In fact, he took the consequences of that guilt and of the sin and of the consequences. He took it all because he loved. And then he was dead. And then he came alive to prove that he could come alive and make you alive, not living for yourself, but living for him. Make you alive back, and he wants to create something new in you to make you conscious of him and then conscious of others. He wants to do that in you, nanny. And I'm like, weep. I'm like, mind you, in front of you, no problem. In front of my grandmother, I'm like weeping and crying, and my heart's pounding. And I didn't know what to do at that point, so I'm like, nanny, do you, um, and I got to the chapter eight, no condemnation, no more guilt. Don't let the enemy have the guilt piece on you. Because it is not stronger than Jesus. I promise you that. I said, Nanny, do you believe? Do you want to confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord? She goes, yes. And I'm like, okay. She's like, what do I do? I'm like, uh, uh, pray. Let's, let, let's pray. It's not like a magical thing. It's not like, poof, something happens. But it's like you just t- tell Jesus everything. She goes, I don't know how to pray. I said, thank you for being honest because a lot of us fake it. She goes, what is prayer? I'm like, it's just talking to the one who cares and telling him honestly where you're at. And she goes, I don't, I'm not good at it. I said, which will probably make you good at it. (laughs) Because I realized the key to effective praying is just praying. We both closed our eyes and she said the most profound prayer I have ever heard, one that I've prayed myself continually. God, I believe you created me on purpose, but I'm really selfish. But I believe that's why you sent your son. I believe. Help me to love others and remember that I don't have to wait for their love in response because I am already loved. Amen. She passed away this year at the age of 99, 10 days shy of her 100th birthday. All of us were mad about that. (laughs) She wasn't because she thought 100 was old. (laughs) None of us had the heart. (laughs) Her life didn't suddenly just get easier, but it became extremely purposeful, and so did our conversations. Because she recognized, and I want us to recognize, and this has been my prayer this morning for you all to recognize, watch this. You don't have to run anywhere else to be loved or accepted or significant because you already are in Christ Jesus. And now we get to remember Christ Jesus through communion. You see, communion was instated by Jesus because he knew that we were forgetful people. He knew it. He wasn't shocked that we forget he was, he's not shocked that you forget. He's not shocked that you worship him on Sundays and then forget on Mondays. And that's why he instilled a lot of things to cause us to remember. And so what the bread and the cup is, is very simply um, to remember his sacrifice. His blo- his, his, the, the cup represents his blood. The bread represents his body broken for you. And we do this to remember him. So we're going to partake together to come forward and to receive that which he has given to us. And then as as you walk back to your chair to ask for the courage to love people, even though they don't deserve it. I come back to the very beginning of service where he had us pray for those who persecute us. I'm going to have us take it a step further and pray, yes, but also love. And then when they turn their back on you, guess how you respond? With love. And then they slap you in your face with their words, and you respond with love. And then one day, maybe by the grace of God, maybe he'll let you see it, maybe not. They may one day say, what? I don't deserve that. And your response would be, neither did I. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for 
your sacrifice. Thank you for living perfectly because you knew that I wouldn't. And Lord, I confess the ways today that I've lived for me. Thank you for allowing me to remember. And as we come forward to receive the sacraments, Lord, would we remember and be grateful and have the courage to respond to your sacrifice? I pray for our homes to look a little bit more like love as a result of remembering your love. Thank you that we don't have to run anywhere else but inviting us to run to you. Would we do so this morning? We love you and all God's children said, amen. As the music plays, there's a few different stations around the room. Would you run nowhere else today to find that which you've been longing for? Amen. Why don't you all stand? I know. It's scary stuff, guys. <laughs> um, I'm just going to do the blessing and the send out today. I know. Um, okay. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for coming. We love every single one of you so, so dearly. And thank you so much, Micah and Megan, for sharing. Uh, we just appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, amazing. So say hi to somebody if you want to. You don't, you don't have to, but um, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox community at voxoc.com participate.